Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Thanks for being with us today. Maybe you're watching or listening later in the week. My name's Rob, and it's my pleasure to serve as the pastor here at Eastern Hills. There is an expression that maybe you've said or maybe you've heard before. That's life. Years ago, my wife and I were with our youngest. She was a few months old. We were at a restaurant, hanging out with some friends, loud atmosphere, you, the type of place where you know, you're in the middle and everyone's talking around you. And whenever we were out with our, with our youngest, I, I'm focused on what she's about to do because she had the propensity to grab a fork and put it in the vicinity of someone else's eyeball. My wife had the gift of blocking out the surroundings, but I was focused on Lily, our youngest. And so my wife's engaged in the conversation and it was like a movie. It was slow motion. I saw her, Lily, grab, go to grab the glass of water on the table and I was like, no, and I stood up to try to stop her and I wasn't quick enough and she grabbed the glass of water I yanked it down on the table so now I'm standing there's water all over me and it's like that moment everyone stops talking and sees what just happened so I'm standing there covered in water and I turn to my wife you know what she says? That's life. We all have a spectrum that we've experienced and that sometimes there are things that we experience and we say something lighthearted like that's life, but we've also experienced those harder moments in life in which we say that's not right. You see, regardless of what you believe to be true about Jesus, this is a reality that connects us all. There's a spectrum in life that ranges from that's life to that's not right. And isn't it true that over the past several months, we've had several hard moments where we've said that's not right. Civil unrest, political divide, personal hardships, a pandemic, the sick, the suffering, the pain, the hurting, that's not right. Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to consider the lives of some people on the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're going to consider the possibility that maybe the great pain that we've experienced in the past, God might use for a greater purpose in the present. Would you walk with me? Welcome to a brand new series, Nothing Wasted. We're going to be exploring the lives of Joseph, Peter, and Philemon and some of those that's not right moments that they've experienced and how they moved forward. And my hope is that through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word, he will help us consider this very important question. What are the things that you would say were a total waste, were the things that God would not waste? What are the things that you don't want to remember are the very things that God might choose to redeem? Now, Joseph's story is one that we might be familiar with. From a cultural perspective, he's a popular figure in the Bible. We have Joseph in the story of the Technicolor, that's right, dream coat. 
But let's start where Joseph's story ends. Genesis 55, 20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Today, through Joseph's story, we will see how he arrived at that conclusion through the lens of this question. What if the things that you would say were a total waste were the things that God would not waste? Let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, today, as you meet us in this moment, we believe that you are alive and active amongst us, that you don't create us and abandon us, You've promised that you're with us always. So transform us. Change us from the inside out. Inspire us by your love, your grace, and mercy. Help my words to be clear so that you may be glorified. We pray these things in your son Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Again, most of us are familiar with the story of Joseph, but to understand his story, you've got to start with Jacob's story. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. And so we start with creation. God creates everything. It's good. He creates humanity. Humanity, Adam and Eve step in and say, you know what? God said that we shouldn't do this. We're going to do this anyways. They chose to disobey God's command, which is sin. And then sin permeated creation, permeated relationship between between God and man, God and creation, everything was broken. And from that point forward, sin affected how we experience life. So much so up to the point where it got so bad, God hits the reset button through the flood, promises to never do that again. But then humanity tries to make their way to the heavens, to the tower, uh, the structure. God dis- disperses humanity amongst the earth. And we get the story of Abraham. And through Abraham, God says, all right, here's how I'm going to provide a path towards redemption. Through you, I'm going to bless my people. The promise of the the Messiah was communicated through Abraham. Now, Abraham has a son in Isaac, and then Isaac's son uh, is Jacob. And then God would change Jacob's name to Israel. And through this family lineage, we would get the 12 sons, which became the ancestors of the 12 tribes of Israel says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he had made an ornate robe for him. Now, I come from a, a blended family. And so if you've experienced the choppy, choppy waters that come with that, then you can connect with the story of Joseph. My mom and dad got divorced when I was five. Uh, my mom would get remarried. I've got uh, two brothers from her second marriage. My dad later in life would get remarried. And I have a twin uh, brother and sister uh, from that marriage. You know, my uh, wife, she comes from uh, a family. She has like four sets of, of grandparents. So for her, and I, we understand the concept of blended families and the complexities that come with it. And so maybe you can identify with Joseph's story because he had one father, but he had four different mothers and 12 brothers. And so when Joseph's father introduced this lavish robe, it caused all kinds of problems because it showed that he was the what? Favorite. A robe that was meant for a rich ruler was now given to a field worker. So if you're the brothers in the field looking at Joseph with his fancy new coat, You're saying to yourself, well, we know who's getting all of dad's money. And in a low EQ moment, Joseph shares 
uh, some dreams suggesting that that would be the conclusion. So jealousy and pride settle in with Joseph's brothers, which leads to hatred, which leads to an attempted murder, which is a story that we've heard before. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and I'll explain what a cistern is in a moment, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. In other words, let's lie. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Couldn't find the body, couldn't find the remains, so jealousy and pride leads to hatred. It leads to an attempt to murder their own brother. Now, this sounds like an episode of one of my favorite shows. It's a drama called Blue Bloods. I mean, this is all the makings of modern day crime type movies and television shows. But this is a true account and it's part of Joseph's story. Take a look at this picture here. This is a cistern. During Joseph's time, uh, this would have been deep, long, uh, and narrow openings, which means it would have been difficult for a prisoner to climb his way out without a rope or some other assistance. But what is disheartening uh, in this moment is what the brothers are doing as Joseph is at the bottom of a cistern. They are having a meal and having a conversation as if their brother wasn't below begging for freedom. And the question we would all ask if we find ourselves in this situation would be, why? You see, this is a, a cistern or the representation of a cistern for today's purposes. It's a trash can and symbolically it represents the things that we've experienced in life that have been hurtful that we would say, what a waste. Don't want to go back and ever relive that again. Hope that never happens to me again. It's a total waste. I want to bury it. I don't want to relive it. And I don't even want to talk about it. Now, when it comes to these moments in life and we've experienced that, sometimes that hurt that we experience is something that was done to me. And sometimes it was a hurt that was caused by me. Uh, there's a couple of different possibilities to an explanation as to the why. Why am I here? Why is this happening to me? And when we experience the metaphorical cisterns of life, the first option is I did this. Isn't it true that our life is the total summary of every decision that we've made along the way? Some for better, some for worse. Uh, Proverbs 19.3 in the Old Testament says, a person's own folly leads to their ruin and yet their heart rages against the Lord. I've done this before. My own poor decision-making leads to difficult circumstances and I'm blaming God. God, why, you know, help me out. Why'd you allow this to happen? But this isn't Joseph's story. Joseph's story is uh, option number two. They did this. Someone else's bad decision-making has caused hurt and harm to my life. But here's what's true. Before we are quick to point the finger at Joseph's brothers and say, well, we're not as bad as them, or I'm, I'm not capable of doing something so tragic to my own family. Well, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things. And then it says that our heart is desperately wicked. And it asks this question, who can know it? And a pastor and, and, and author that I like to listen to, his name is Andy Stanley. He says, it's when our hearts are stirred that we become most aware of what they contain. We've heard stories that start like this. You know, they're, they're my neighbor. I, I never thought that they had it within them to, to cause such pain in someone else's life. I would have never thought that they were capable of this. I'm sure that people that knew Joseph's brothers would have said about them, I would have never thought that they were capable of such 
horrible decisions that they could hurt someone in that way. But this is what happens when pride and jealousy leads to hatred, leads to us making unthinkable, uh, unimaginable uh, decisions that we would have never foresaw that we were capable of making. That's Joseph's story. That's Joseph's brother's story. And if we're not careful, it can become our story. Now, option number three is this. God did this. And we look at the world and we say, okay, God, you're loving, you're powerful. Uh, Why didn't you stop that tornado from taking out the homes uh, of people? Why why didn't you stop that that gunman from, from opening up and taking the lives of innocent people? God, this is on you you should have stepped in and did something. Now, there's a Greek philosopher that has asked similar questions uh, in the past. And if you're a skeptic, you've probably asked these type of questions. Um, Or maybe if you're not, maybe you've got friends in your life that you care about that have asked these questions to you. Here's the first one. Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? And then the philosopher says that he's not omnipotent. Here's the reality. God is willing to limit evil and has acted to do exactly that. That's what we just celebrated last weekend, Easter. The fact that Jesus has risen from the dead is evidence of God acting to limit evil. In fact, Easter is a reminder that Jesus defeated evil. He defeated death once and for all and gives us a promise and hope that one day we'll experience a new creation that is free from the pain and hurt and suffering and the cisterns that we experience in the present. Consequently, God's power knows no limit and the resurrection is evident of that, evidence of that. The philosopher goes on to say, is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. <laughs> so God is able but not willing to abolish our free will. It's different. See, Jesus proved this when he asked the question of Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. You see, God still possesses perfect, unlimited goodness. He's just not willing to limit our free will and abolish our free will. He says, is he both able and willing? Then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why even call him God? When we talk about evil, evil by the simplest definition is the absence of good. And anytime we fall short of God's standard for our lives and how to love him and love others and to be obedient to the scriptures that he has given us as a playbook on how to thrive with him and with others, we fall short. We experience evil. And because that happens regularly, we live in a fallen, broken world from day in and day out. But as we celebrated last week, through Jesus, our Heavenly Father has acted to defeat evil once and for all. So the issue here is that God is not willing to prevent our free will. But our disapproval of that does not make him any less God. So the fourth option maybe is nobody did this. It's funny because insurance companies today call this an act of God. So a pandemic, that's an act of God. You know, hurricanes, it's an act of God. But did God cause those things? No. Uh, actually, what causes those things is the brokenness of this world that we live in. And yet, here's an uncomfortable truth. You see, when we find ourselves in the cistern of life, when we find ourselves in the midst of incredibly challenging seasons where we're overwhelmed with pain and long suffering, no explanation to this question why will make us feel better about why we are 
here. No explanation of why will satisfy the fact that we're at the bottom of the cistern. And so for the rest of this message, I want you to know that I can't change your circumstances. I can't do that. As your pastor, I wish I could say, hey, do these three things and your life will be amazing from that point forward and everything will be better, but I can't. So instead, what I'm offering today is a path forward through the life of an individual and an invitation to consider this question. Would you be open to the possibility that your greatest pain can be used for great purpose because this is Joseph's story. And so let me get you caught up to what happens next. And I'm going to summarize this, but if you want to read about Joseph's story, you can read in Genesis this week. But here's what happens. Joseph eventually finds himself out of the cistern and he's sold into slavery and he's bought by a wealthy Egyptian. And he starts to begin to do well for himself until the wife of the guy that he works for, tries to seduce him. And so she gets him tossed into prison for something that he did not do. But once again, because God's favor was upon Joseph, he's well taken care of in that season. And then he connects with two guys that are having trouble interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams. And Joseph helps them out. And his reputation begins to build and build until one day he finds himself in front of the Pharaoh himself, interpreting for the Pharaoh. And again, Joseph finds himself in a prosperous situation as he's put in charge of the Pharaoh's household. And eventually all of Egypt is put under Joseph's care. Now a great famine takes place, which then puts Joseph back into the presence of the very brothers that once put him at the bottom of a cistern. See, the brothers show up to Egypt to meet with the official that can help them with what they need most, food. Food in the midst of a famine. Now, the brothers don't know that Joseph is the official that they're looking for, but Joseph knows full well that his brothers have just showed up. And through a series of tests, Joseph is able to come to an understanding that his own brothers have regret and repentance for what they, for what they once did to their brother Joseph. And so now Joseph has all of this angst and hurt within him because his past has showed up in his present. And the fact that he's now faced with the choice to extend grace and mercy to those that once hurt him deeply. And this emotion is building and building and it's overwhelming to the point where Joseph eventually just breaks down. Here's what happens. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. Just clear the room. I can't take this anymore. I'm overwhelmed. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Have you been here before? Where the, the pain that your experience in life is so overwhelming that you just weep uncontrollably? I have. In fact, uh, recently, back in November, I was asking the question, what good can come from the situation that I'm in? 
I've shared this before, but you know, there, there was great challenges for my family in moving across the country to a new ministry assignment and a co-pastorate model uh, and trying to figure out how to lead uh, with this person that I've not met before and trying to figure out how do we work and serve together. And there was uh, some challenges from the get-go. And, and then we have a pandemic and the world shuts down. And so that's hard for us to experience community, work through challenges. Uh, the leadership of our church makes a difficult decision uh, that was hurtful for, for so many people that call this church home. And so I'm navigating that and then I'm placed with some big decisions and uh, to, to make for the future of our church, the type of decisions in which you're going to disappoint someone, you can't make everybody happy, and you can't explain all of the reasoning behind some of the decisions because some of it's personal. And so there's this gap. And then when the gap, people step in and they fill in the gap with whatever's most entertaining or satisfying to them. And we also live during a time where people can create a version of themselves on uh, the internet or social media that best works for them and telling a portion of the truth but not the whole truth. And so now as a community, as a church, we were experiencing division, gossip, and slander. And I remember the night very well and just phone call after phone call of the he said, she says, and I just broke. And I went upstairs and I fell flat on my face and I was just weeping uncontrollably. And my wife stepped in and said, what is wrong? And I just kept saying over, I'm a failure. I failed you. I failed our kids. I failed our church. And I just couldn't stop crying. And my kids were wondering what's happening with their dad. I had just been broken. And this is the moment that Joseph's experiencing. He is broken. But here's what happens next. God begins to show to Joseph how he might choose to redeem the thing that he does not want to remember. How the past showing up in the present might be pain that's being used for a greater purpose. The brothers said to Joseph, you have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to the Pharaoh. You see, they had planned to waste their brother's life. And now Joseph is saving his brother's lives. And even after saving their lives, they try to manipulate him once again and he has to forgive them once again. And here's what he chooses to say to them. Don't, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, Joseph was sold, uh, wrongly accused, tortured. <laughs> Sound familiar? We just celebrated Easter. I mean, there's no greater demonstration of what Joseph experienced than the story of the gospel. You see, Joseph is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus is the better Joseph. If we can trust Jesus with our salvation, then maybe we can trust that the things that we don't want to remember are the very things that God might choose to redeem. The things that we would consider a total waste are the things that God would not waste. The things that some intended for harm, God can now leverage for hope. But when we're here in the pit, we start to lose perspective. Because when we find ourselves in the pit, eventually you start, stop looking up because you're thinking no one's coming with the rope. No one's coming to help. And all you start to do is focus on your surroundings and the walls that feel like they're closing in on you. And you only focus on the pain. And you forget that life is moving on up top, without you. James describes life in this way. In the New Testament, he describes life as a vapor. And I, this is one of my favorite 
illustrations. I saw this from a pastor many years ago and it's always stuck with me. And that this is the description of how quickly life is experienced. It's like a vapor. It's there one minute and it's gone the next. It's a mist. It's there one minute and gone the next. I think I did that like 10 times before I finally got it right. Sometimes you just have to laugh when you have that moment of an illustration that fails terribly in the moment. But let's try it again. Life is like a mist. It's there one minute and gone the next. Well, clearly God wanted to break the tension in this moment. But that's what it's like. We forget that life is moving on. Whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, we might think that life has hit a pause as we're in the pain, but life is moving on. You see, when we're in the pit, this is what it feels like. It feels like we're drinking out of a hose. (laughs) Maybe you're thinking, is he really going to squirt himself right now? No, I'm not. But it it just comes out uncontrollably. I remember as a summer and the kids, as kids would try to, you know, drink out of the hose and it's just gushing in the back of of your mouth. But that's what life feels like in the pit. It, It feels like you're, in many cases, drowning. And if you find yourself in this group, and I'm gonna speak to three groups, what you need is hope. If you're in the pit, you need perspective. You need hope. You need to be reminded to focus on what is not seen yet instead of only focusing on what you see and feel, which is all of the pain. Paul talks about this in the New Testament. You know, Paul was one that had great dreams and aspirations of one day going to Rome and preaching the gospel, and yet he would find himself in prison. And he had several that's not right moments in his life, but he offers something interesting here in his letter to the church of Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, or chapter 4, verse 14 says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And so because Easter has happened, life has changed. All this is for your benefit so that grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So Paul's saying maybe what you're experiencing is going to be used by God to draw others into his presence. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. If you're later in your years, the older and you get, you get that your body's wasting away. But because the spirit of God dwells within us, He's renewing us, transforming us. Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, when I read this, that's hard for me because when I'm in the pit, it doesn't feel light and momentary. But then God adds this. So we fix our eyes, this is the key, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And so instead of just focusing on the walls and maybe that we feel trapped and overwhelmed by the pain, we look out and we know that God is working even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Now, the second group would be those, and I spelt this wrong. That's embarrassing. Man, all kinds of fails in this message, but that's okay. Uh, It shows you that we don't edit these afterwards. But if you're in a season of pity, what you're looking for is healing. Because you're outside of the pit and you're looking to figure out how do I move forward? Now, it's also true that when you get out of the pit, life will never be the same as what it was before you were in the pit. 
you can't go back and go back to that season. Like things, the new normal, all that expressions, the reality is, is pre-pandemic, we can't go back to that. The world has changed and we can't undo what's been done. When we come outside of the pit, life will be different. This is why I I hate the expression pity party. (laughs) Oh, they're having a pity party. Listen, pity is a good thing. To have pity for someone means that you are expressing compassion for those that are hurting. We want the pity parties in life. We want to invite a group of people, an army of people around us to help us heal as we move forward in life. God showed up to Elijah's uh, life in in a big way in a season where he needed healing. He had found himself in the pit. He had found himself in the cistern, so much so that he wanted to die. This is 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4. It says, While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. It had become so overwhelming. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Just, you know, exhausted emotionally. Phys- just, I'm out. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and for 40 nights until he reached his destination. You see, this is how God can work in our life. He can provide the nourishment and sleep that we need and repeat, nourishment and sleep that we need. need. God cares for Elijah's body and then he cares for his soul. Only after he's physically recovered does he then continue on in his journey and moving forward to what God has next for him. And so when you come out of a season of being in the pit, when you come out of a season of being in the cistern, what you need is holistic care. The chances are is your brain is not producing enough serotonin. And it's likely that your neurons are shot. It's a dangerous state to be in. In fact, medical professionals will tell you that it can kill you. I love that more and more we're living during a time where we've removed the stigma of depression. And we've acknowledged that poor mental health is a killer. Letting God into your life, letting doctors into your life, uh, letting good friends into your life, if that's the pity party you're having, then that is exactly what you need. Healing, letting people in to help, which speaks to the third group of people. Those that have experienced the hurt of the cistern, it's in their past, they've experienced healing, and now they're in a position to help. And so maybe today, the invitation to you is this. You're now in a position to drop the rope and show up with a powerful question of, you know what, how can I help? You know, if we want to be the the type of church that shows up in the hard seasons of life, then we need to be prepared to drop the the rope into those lives that are looking for some sort of hope some sort of healing, some sort of way of being able to move forward. And two things to consider if you're in this position is this, presence and perspective. Part of showing up in a hard place is just showing up. You know, sometimes in in my past, if I've been in these type of seasons, people will ask, you know, can we bring you a meal? And and I've learned, just send the meal. 
don't even ask. Just show up with the meal. Just show up with the food card. Send a meal there. Even if they don't eat the meal, I think this the act of you providing that meal says that there's hope. It says that there's a God sending an army around me to help me in this pain. You know, don't ask if someone needs prayer when you know that they're in the pit. Just pray for them. Don't think to yourself, maybe I should send a, a note of, occur, of encouragement to them. Just send the note of encouragement. Be present. And then the second is perspective. When you show up, don't show up in such a way assuming that they're going to want you to share what you've been through and how you move forward. But come equipped to share if they ask you to. It might be that you just need to be present, but it also might be that they invite you to speak into that difficult situation that they're going through. Consider this. What if, what if the things that you would say were a total waste were the things that God would not waste? Maybe for you, you're in a position to drop the rope. God might choose to redeem the hurt that you've experienced in your past by providing hope for someone in the present. And maybe if you find yourself in the pit, in the cistern, in the season of life, your next step is to be humble enough to allow God to send people into your life to help you get the healing that you need. Let me pray. Father, I, I can think of the many people in my own life that you sent to help me during difficult seasons. And so, Father, I pray right now for those people that are going through difficult seasons that you would provide men and women to show up in those moments, that you would give them the wisdom they need to know how to move forward. Give us the courage and strength as a church to be the type of people that show up in the hardest moments of life when people are saying, that's not right. Why is this happening? Let your truth and the scriptures and the knowledge of who you are transform our perspective. Use us to grow your kingdom. Help us to be the type of church that is known for showing up in those moments that seemed hopeless and providing a hope of your son, Christ Jesus, by how we love and care for others. And we pray these things in the power of your son, Christ Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in song together. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.